Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of a new podcast from your pals Hannah and Esther. Hi. Called The Lost Broadcasts. Um, if you don't know us yet, uh, Esther, want to introduce yourself real quick? Hi, uh, I'm Esther. Um, I'm at Capybaraness on Twitter. That is almost certainly why you're listening to this. <laughs> um, if you found this from another place other than my Twitter account, then that means that this podcast is much more popular than either of us are expecting it to be. So mm-hmm. that's great. But if you don't know me, that's at Capybaraness is me. And I, but Esther is my name. Yeah. Um, and I'm Hannah, uh, Esther's wife, and you can find me on Twitter at Hannah Yolo. Um, and the two of us have been wanting for a good while to do a podcast about shows that tried and failed to be lost. Mm-hmm. Um, so right away, we have to define a few things, right? Like first, what is lost? What is uh, lost? For like all your your Zoomer followers yeah, who some are of just you like were were born one year ago, um, yeah. and don't know what Lost is because it's not on streaming. Or, yeah, or it's it's, it's sort of like The Mandalorian without Baby Yoda. Yeah, it's kind of like Stranger Things. Um, <laughs> Shut up! It's like Stranger Things crossed with an island. Mm-hmm. Um, do they have shows with islands anymore? They probably don't. That's a good question, and I'm sure what it will come up in yeah, a future episode. It will, it will. Um, if, if this podcast becomes very successful, maybe we can uh, inspire a resurgence <laughs> of TV shows about islands. <laughs> okay, so very basic info. Lost is a uh, one-hour drama that ran on ABC from 2004 to 2010, six seasons, created by Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse, um, but it gets called the J.J. Abrams show a lot because he was an executive producer, he directed the pilot. And he was like a big name that was attached to it. But he had nothing to do with it after the pilot. No. Um, it is about some seemingly unconnected and regular people that uh, whose plane crashes on a mysterious island. It turns out that the island is full of weird shit and also all their backstories are full of weird shit. And as it goes on, it sort of uh, evolves from being just about like, you know, well, what's this specific weird thing that we're encountering to a lot of these like slow burning mysteries and conspiracies and revelations and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, Lost is a controversial show for a lot of people. Um, Esther and I love it a lot, but like you will find a lot of differing opinions on it throughout the internet. But despite that, what is indisputable is that it was a huge fucking hit. It was like 18.7 million viewers for its pilot. Absolute like cultural sensation Everybody just being like, what's with the island? What's with the polar bear? Everyone Who's the guy in the suit? About the island. Yeah. And the smoke monster. The smoke monster. That was a big deal, yeah. Yeah. And because it was a massive mega hit, um, it certainly inspired some imitators. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other important thing about it, kind of like contextually, is that it was super different from what was on a lot of TV at the time, especially network TV. Uh, it was super serialized, super ambitious wasn't tied to any procedural structure. Um, Because it's important to note that, like, there were shows on network TV that were, like, pushing these boundaries before. The X-Files, Twin Peaks, a couple of these, like, very short-running shows, like Carlton Cuse's previous one, Briscoe County Jr. But those would still kind of have this, like, blank-of-the-week structure, right? And a procedural hook, like cop show, lawyer show, doctor show, Mm -hmm. spy show, even. Um, Lost really doesn't have that. It is just a show about like an ensemble cast trying to figure out what's going on on this island. And it's those two factors. The fact that it was a huge hit, 
and the fact that it was so unlike everything else that you can find on the big American networks at the time, uh, led to an instant and widespread phenomenon where as soon as the network, the next season of network TV started airing, there were a bunch of shows that were supposed to be the next lost. It's like CBS ordered one, NBC ordered one, ABC, as it turns out, ordered a second one. They were like, we could double up on this sucker. Um, so yeah, and that brings us, I think to the, what this show that you're listening to is about. Mm -hmm. Um, basically after lost premiered, everyone wanted a piece like Hannah said. Uh, and that's what this show is about. It's about the shows that premiered after lost that are trying to be like lost. We call them lost alikes. Yeah. Um, pretty much none of them had the success that lost (laughs) did because even though lost seems like, uh, seemed at the time to a lot of these producers and stuff like it was a, a replicable formula mm-hmm. what make what made lost successful was that it was so unique right it yeah. was that there just wasn't anything like it on tv um but a lot of producers who have like producer or executive brain were like oh i get it people want a show you know with an ensemble cast or like mysterious sci-fi elements or yeah. like stuff like that um, so there is this huge crop of shows, both in the immediate aftermath of Lost and even to this day, that are clearly trying to sort of be the next thing in that vein. Um, so what we want to do is basically like, look at them, because yep. most of them were fucking huge failures and no one thinks about them anymore. Yeah, uh, except that some people will. Like, you That's still true. will see like threads that are like, what shows are canceled too soon? Yeah. And I know, like, I fully expect every episode of this show to have in the replies people being like, oh, I loved that show. And they're going to be so disappointed when they listen to the episode. Yeah, <laughs> we probably. Just, like, well, you know, roast ho- it. hopefully we'll, some yeah. of these will actually be good. The one we're going to talk about today, which we'll get to in a second, isn't very good, <laughs> but hopefully some of the ones we'll watch will be. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, uh, every episode of this show, we're going to be looking at uh, one season of television, which is good because most of these shows ran for one season of television. Um, <laughs> and you know, sometimes they'll make it to season two and we'll just do a, like a two parter. Um, yeah. but most of the time these shows just, these shows flamed out. Um, and we have like a huge list of shows to cover, by the way, we have like, I think our current list has like 40 shows, 43 yeah. shows, which you wouldn't think that like, uh, that lost would inspire that many imitators, but it's like, it's obviously not just, Oh, here's people who made a show about a desert Island or, mm-hmm. a, or a plane crash or, you know, it's not the specifics. It's more like the, the general vibe, the general tone. In fact, we have a list of uh, yeah. items that we can talk about. So let's, let's dive into that list. Uh, these are our sort of like rough criteria that we're looking at. Um, not every show has to match any of every of these, but like we are kind of using this as like our yardstick for like, eh, does this count? Does this not count? Um, it has to be something that premiered after Lost. Uh, it has to be something that is in the modern day with a seemingly normal setting. So if it is like outright sci-fi or outright fantasy, that doesn't really count because like, a whole huge aspect of like the draw of lost is like, Ooh, you think that this is normal, but it's actually fucked. <laughs> um, an ensemble cast, uh, often who are seemingly unconnected to each other before the plot starts and who are often seemingly like normal, but have a lot more like weird yeah. stuff going on with them. Average everyday people. Yeah. Uh, it should have sci-fi elements, uh, or fantasy elements that manifest in a form of like, a slow burning, heavily serialized mystery. So if it's just like 
an urban fantasy thing where it's like, you know, this takes place in Detroit, but there are like an underground of sorcerers in Detroit. That doesn't really count. Um, And of course, canceled within two seasons. So shows can kind of like graduate out of being lost alikes. In fact, when we first proposed this a couple years ago, there was a show, I think Manifest, that was on our list um, as we were first sort of formulating the ideas. And now that we're actually making the show, Manifest has been running for like five seasons. So it's (laughs) off the list. We can't do it anymore. Um, So that's an example. So just for some examples of shows that don't count for our criteria for for the Lost broadcasts. Uh, Heroes is an example of a show that ran too long, like way too long. Um, <laughs> Yellow Jackets, kind of a Lost Alike for sure, but it's like, it's kind of too prestige Yeah. Like Lost Alikes, I think one of the main things they're defined by is by sort of like genre kitsch. Not really kitschiness, but like they, they can't have the sort of like uh, prestige awards bait aspirations that something like yeah. Yellow Jackets does. Like Yellow Jackets is, is one of those shows that's like Succession, right? Where it's like, half a million people watch it every week, but every single one of those people is on Twitter and talking yeah. very loudly and about is a, it. And is a TV critic, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, like, Lost was something that, like, I mean, TV critics love talking about it a whole lot, mm-hmm. but it was also something that was definitely designed to just, like, appeal to really normal people um, yeah. who wouldn't watch, like, prestige television. And so its imitators are also things that tried to go for that same market at least a little bit. And then... Uh, for an example of a show that's too procedural, we could talk about Fringe, which is like still really, I mean, it's not, it's pretty far afield of what a Lost Alike is anyway, but I think it's a good example of like Lost Alikes are telling serialized stories. They are like, I mean, the show we're going to talk about today sort of falls into the trap of being a little too episodic, but in general, like the sort of monster of the week formula of something or case of the week formula of something like Fringe or the X-Files is like, that kind of separates it from what a lost like is because a lost like is all about telling one big interconnected story. Yeah. Um, so that's our list of criteria. And, uh, as we just mentioned uh, a little earlier, we already had lost likes by 2005. Um, and part of what that means is that like these first ones that crop up, they're kind of trying to figure out in real time what it means to be a show that is like Lost because they yeah. only have one season of inspiration to go off of. So much of the stuff that is like core to what people even think about as Lost like hasn't happened in the show yet. Um, we don't really know like who the others are. We don't know like what's in the hatch yet at this point. Um, so they're, they're, they're kind of flying by the seats of their pants a little bit. And while we don't have like direct confirmation about this because like information about the production history of something like invasion is very like loose on the ground. There's not like oral histories flying around everywhere. Um, but what we suspect is that a lot of these first wave were shows that were like already on TV producers desks, right? It was like, Oh shit, this is a pilot that never got picked up or a script that never got developed into a pilot. Um, that was originally trying to be the next X-Files or something. <laughs> but it's like, you know, it, it, it missed that opportunity, but now Lost is here, so it's like, it could be the next Lost. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're, we're going to see some like bending of those criteria from the start, right? Yeah. Um, and if we figure that something bends a criteria a little bit, but enough listeners yell at us to cover it, we are insanely susceptible to intimidation, Esther yes. especially. I'm very scared, yeah. um, easily cowed. Stomach ache all the time. I'm always, I have a tummy ache right now. 
and <laughs> I want to go we've home. had to pause this recording like four times already for her to just go whoa <laughs> i just want to go to sleep <laughs> help uh, anyway all right yeah. um um so yeah so the, our first few episodes will be about sort of the first generation of lost alikes right mm-hmm. um so we'll do an episode on surface on nbc on mm-hmm. threshold which is on cbs um fox didn't have one of these fox was the one major network that did not have one. the closest thing they had was this show that i just found out about yesterday called reunion just about like uh the the uh, each episode tracks the year in the lives of like these six high school friends leading up to their 20th year reunion and one of them has been murdered and <laughs> you don't find out which until episode five for some reason <laughs> yes yeah, definitely shades of lost there but doesn't really fit yeah. enough of the rules if you are the world's only reunion fan then uh please just uh email uh like what is it like questions at those good old fashioned values.com <laughs> and ask for Ty and yeah. uh, just the longer, the better. The email. <laughs> um, but the one we're talking about today is invasion, which funny enough, the, the reason we're starting with invasion and the thing that makes it really special is of all the shows that premiered in the fall of 2005, alongside the second season of lost invasion was on the same network as Lost. Yep. It was on ABC. It aired immediately after <laughs> Lost on the same night. Um, and I think that, like, if you want to th- know the reason this show failed, before we even start talking about what it is, that's it. Is yeah. that it aired immediately after season two of Lost, and it just was not good enough. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, we every, when we were watching this show, constantly at the back of our minds is like, okay, what episode of Lost aired the same night as this? Yeah. And it was always some, like, great season two episode. And then, like, imagine you watch that live and then Invasion starts. You're not gonna, you're not gonna stick with it. Like, even if it was good, it would have been probably too much for people to, like, oh, great, another, like, you know, multi-layered mystery conspiracy mm-hmm. thing that I have to keep track of. Like, yeah. Cause like the, the, the binge watching model is like years and years off from this point. And like, I'm, I'm not sure that people are necessarily chomping at the bit for like, okay, I want to sit down on Thursday evening for two straight hours <laughs> of just like slow burn mysteries and like people looking meaningfully yeah. at like, you know, trees and water and <laughs> shit. I mean, this wasn't how people were watching TV in general back in, at, at that time. Like one of the mm-hmm. things that made Lost unique is that it was like, it was appointment television. Yeah. It wasn't just law and order where it's like, oh, I'll, I'll catch that if it's on. Like, I don't need to watch it every week because it's this kind of the same thing it was like no you wanted to watch every single week because who knew who knew what was going to be revealed and what was going to happen and the twists and all that um and did people have the energy for two of those in the same night probably not oh fuck that just makes me think um shout out to emily st james who wrote like a really good thread about some like writer strike dynamic stuff recently mm-hmm. but she was talking basically about how like uh, the reason a lot of TV critics focus on these more serialized shows is because like there's something unique and different to write about every season with it. Mm-hmm. And she mentioned that that also works for reality TV shows. So I wonder if like the Survivor Amazing Race boom and whatnot is also something that really like primed the pump for people to be super ready for something like Lost and Probably, just being yeah. like, you know, uh, uh, let's watch this whole season through. It tells the whole same story, and like you, you have to watch every episode yeah. to get it's a sense of the progression. Ensemble casts on shows like that. Ensemble casts, yeah, you know? yeah. Damn, um, and it's on an island. Survivor. And Survivor's on an island, and 
They have to survive on the island. I feel so stupid for not making that connection until today. Yeah. I feel like everyone in 2004 was just like... Oh, this is like Survivor. Yeah, the the, the roundest-headed TV critic was just being (laughs) like, wow, it's like if Survivor was real life. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So why don't we talk about what Invasion actually is? Mm -hmm. Um, If you heard the title Invasion and you thought, oh, like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, you are on the exact (laughs) right track. You are 12 episodes ahead of the show. (laughs) (laughs) So the premise of Invasion is that um, there's this hurricane in the small town of Homestead, Florida. Mm -hmm. And it's It's like an Everglades, Southern Florida. Exactly. And it's, you know, swampland. Um, And it's this freak hurricane. And during the hurricane, some people are lost into the water, into the seas, in the ocean or whatever. Um, And the people who go into the water miraculously come back, but there's something different about them. They've changed in certain ways. They've, something is not quite the same. Something's, and I'm drawing this out because that's how the show (laughs) draws out the mystery. It's like, it's like episode nine before they actually talk about like what happened to these people. Um, And before that, it's just like, endless shots of the people who went into the water like looking at a, a faucet a running faucet and being like oh what is that? something there's a connection <laughs> yeah esther was a do you want to like uh, yeah. say the joke that you have said, um they, the the invasioned characters on this show look at water the way that trans women in movies look at dresses <laughs> where it's like the danish girl will look at a dress in the store window like oh fuck Oh, I'm going to paw at it sort of meaningfully like that. It's exactly the same. Yeah. Um, so, so like that, that was supposed to be like the, the scope of the mystery, right? Where yeah. it's like, Ooh, what happened to these people that went into the water and like, you know, uh, uh, are there larger plans at play? Like one of the main characters seems to be like trying to cover things up and, you know, maybe like the air force is trying to do a separate cover up and maybe there's like a third organization that's trying to like do something with these like people that went into the water. Um, but like a lot of why we're going to see it stumble is that like the answers are insanely straightforward <laughs> at all times. It's like yeah. your first guess, knowing what the name of the show is and knowing just the basic plot facts is that like, oh, these people got like replaced by alien body snatcher situations, right? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, no, yeah, you, that you is got in one. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it, the way that they have to preserve the mystery is that the people who have been invasioned don't know general at first. Yeah. Almost, right. They come back with their memories of having been lost in the water. It's just, um, just like the Cylons and Battlestar Galactica, which also premiered like a year or two before, right? God, no, it is, isn't it? They don't, because the Cylons don't know. Yeah, some of them don't, yeah. Huh. So this is kind of a BSG-like as well, in that way. <laughs> yeah, welcome to Battle Pod Galactic? No. The, uh, yeah. the Battle, the battle Galactcasts? Man, mm. that fucking sucks. No. That's nothing. <laughs> no, I don't think we can make that work. Um, uh, we're sticking with the Lost Broadcasts. <laughs> but no, like the, the way, in order for the mystery to be as drawn out as, as it is, the people who have been invasioned don't know what's happened to them. And they sort of have this weird, like, implied psychic connection with other people who've been invasioned. And they sort yeah. of all draw together. And um, it's all, like, not just drawn out, it's really poorly explained, like, you know, obviously a lot of what these characters are experiencing is happening internally, right? Mm-hmm. It's they are feeling this draw towards the water and this draw towards the other people who've been invasioned. And, you know, 
the show does a really poor job at communicating that. So a lot of the time it's just like, oh, all these characters are meeting in a church <laughs> all the time. I guess, I, I don't know what that means really. <laughs> like, It's not clear for a while that, oh, it's because they've all been invasioned. <laughs> That's why they're all coming together. Yeah, and it's like other characters will be like, they're all meeting in a church? What are they planning? <laughs> but it's like every shot you actually see of them meeting in a church, they're just like giving very slow speeches about how like, I went into the water and I came out different <laughs> but different is good different can be strong <laughs> um so let's talk about our main cast yeah. right uh and like eagle-eared listeners will notice a pattern among this cast as it develops so let's let's start off with probably the closest thing we have to a main guy mm-hmm. sheriff tom underlay yes. played by the great character actor william fickner mm-hmm. um and he is I think like the first time we watched this, uh, we really were down on his performance. I think we're a lot higher on it this time, but like there's still a sense of like, what the fuck are you being asked to do with this character? Yeah, it's tough because his whole his whole role. I mean, there's not really an he's, analog on Lost. Maybe like maybe Ben Linus kind of like he kind of is. Yeah, he's vaguely sinister. He has mysterious plans. Uh, he's sometimes acting in opposition to the more outwardly heroic characters. He's always sort of like, he, his favorite thing to do is like rush into a scene and be like, whatever you think is happening, nothing is happening. Yeah. Fundamentally who he is, is two things. Number one, he is the guy who tries to stop the plot from happening. Yes. Um, like he, he has this greater knowledge of what's going on with the invasion than anyone else. And the way that he kind of reacts to everything is he'll just sort of like shut down any investigations into it. He spends like the first half of the series just like running fucking circles around every other (laughs) character. (laughs) Just like they'll see someone become an alien like right in front of them. And then he'll just like kind of show up and be like, Hmm, that was a special squid. (laughs) And they'll just be like, Oh damn, Pharrell. Okay. Yeah. And then the other characters characters would be like, he was hiding something about that squid. (laughs) Yeah. But now the squid is gone, we'll never know. <laughs> um, so that's that's one of his uh, tasks in the plot, is to just stop things from happening. He'll give constant speeches about how, like, look, if the world knows more about what happened in this town, then they'll start, like, dissecting people. And, you know, the, it, he's always just got, like, excuses for, like, why we have to have four more episodes worth of characters asking the most basic questions imaginable. The other thing he is, is Dwight Yoakam in Sling Blade. Uh, he has the sleaziest fucking domestic abuser vibes. He is yes. constantly, like, appearing menacingly in doorways <laughs> and just, like, staring at women. Yeah. I mean, it, it. that seems to be the main way they communicated that he is not to be trusted. Um, he does have, like, a, a face turn at the end of the season, which is the weird part. Um, mm-hmm. Not to get ahead of ourselves. But it is just, like, he's constantly being framed as, like, menacingly menacingly looming over all the women in his life, um, giving guns to children. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's, like, the, the crazy thing about it is that, like, they're clearly trying to make him, like, this menacing in, like, a cool, dark, anti-hero mastermind way. Yeah. But, like, because of what he's being asked to do, because of, like, the sheer pettiness and sleaziness of, like, the scope of all his schemes, he just comes across as, like, a guy who is, like, half a beer away from just, like, you know, doing, like, a very special episode about domestic violence. Basically, yeah. And he is married 
to our next main character, Dr. Mariel Underlay, who is a doctor at the town. Um, What else do we have to say about (laughs) Mariel? You are struggling. I mean, I don't know how to, how do we just, here's the thing, because she's been invasioned at the start of the show during the hurricane, which of course we don't learn until episode 5 million. Um, (laughs) So here's, here's the issue with Mariel is that, we are we spend so much time with like characters like especially her kids talking about how like mom's different she went into the water and now she's changed now everything's different but the few like the half an episode that we get of her in the pilot before she goes into the water and gets invasion she is already the weirdest fucking woman in the world like she she has this scene where like she is looking at uh, sheriff tom through a window and just like waving to him with this like glassy-eyed Kamala Harris look (laughs) and like when she comes back and starts like staring at water and shit it's like this is new for her like (laughs) (laughs) if you had told me based on that like episode one performance that like no this is just what she did already yeah it's like mom's different now she always used to just like zone out and stare at like 15 (laughs) minutes uh stare for 15 minutes at fire but now it's water (laughs) She did a complete 180. Yeah, her main role in the story is to get gaslit by her husband, Sheriff Tom Underlay. Yeah, yeah. She spends a lot of time, like, getting, you know, like, insisting, like, you know, Tom, if you love me, you'll tell me the truth. And he's like, of course. And then he, like, lies to her through his teeth. <laughs> yeah. Um, she also has, like, and this should be a slam dunk for me, because, like, I am a huge fucking sucker for this kind of corny shit. But she has so many monologues where she says things like, I might have changed, but I'm still me. Uh, but no, it whiffs every fucking time. Yeah, it's not, there's not much to Dr. Mariel. Um, the, the sort of hero of the show, though, if, if there could be such a thing, is Russell Verone. Um, he is the park ranger uh, in the town of Homestead. Um, and it's, what's funny is like, the show just kind of plays it like he's just a cop, basically. But because he's always at odds with Sheriff Tom, who's an actual cop, they just had to make him, like, a different kind of cop-esque profession, which is yeah. park ranger. But he just acts like he's he's a police officer all the time. There's, there's like, a, a, a scene pretty late in the show where he's just, like, on his radio and he's just being like, I need some law enforcement ranger. <laughs> It's just like, oh, fuck. You have special ones that are, like, double cops. <laughs> um, uh, but the main thing about Russell is that he was once married to Dr. Mariel. Yeah. Um, and they are now divorced. Um, and we'll get to their kids. Put a pin in that idea. <laughs> of just divorce? Just for one second, yeah. Yeah, make sure, keep that in your mind. His character traits are that he is pissed. He's very angry. He is, I mean, it, he is, like, extremely transparently dr jack shepherd yes he is like a guy who is really pissed all the time he is um constantly getting upset by the implication that there might be something supernatural going on in the like extremely obviously supernatural show yeah um he is a guy who is just like you know uh, uh constantly flying off the handle especially at his ex-wife dr mariel yeah. underlay like the, the it's it's insane the first episode of the show is comprised more of, like, people arguing about divorce. Like, we, we timed it, and it's, like, ten minutes into the episode before there's a single conversation between your two characters that's not about divorce. Yeah. Um, but, like, 
he is just constantly screaming at Mariel, constantly being like, what the fuck do you think you can do with our kids? <laughs> and like the way that like I was thinking about this while watching it is that it's just like, this is the bracket finals of like a 32 man tournament for who can abuse <laughs> Dr. Mariel the most. <laughs> it really does feel like that a lot of the time. It's just like, getting ping ponged back and forth between them. Yeah. If we had gotten a season two, it would have been like, Ooh, let's meet some more members of the elite eight. And like, <laughs> flashbacks to like Russell just like taking out the different kinds of domestic abuser like taking out Neil Patrick Harris from Gone Girl (laughs) um but yeah that's him he has a new wife yes that would be Lurkin Groves Lurkin Groves a name that really charmed us from the minute it was first said and still does to this day yeah I feel like Lurkin Groves she's a reporter Mm -hmm. um there's even less to her, I think, than Dr. Mariel, to be honest. I mean, even the even the fact that she's a reporter is dropped within, like, five episodes. I don't think she does any reporting yeah. past that point in the she, season. She is, like, we, we said that um, Sheriff Tom is constantly bamboozling the other characters. She is the most easily bamboozled character in this entire show. <laughs> she, like, tries to report something once in, like, the first three episodes and then, like, is told by her boss, like, no, you're not going to report that. And she's just like, yeah, all right, I'm, I'm good. And just like kind of sits and ho- sits at home being increasingly pregnant for the rest of the show. <laughs> uh, her brother is Dave, mm-hmm. Dave Groves. Uh, his role is like, you know how every TV show has one character who's kind of like a big slovenly guy with a beard. And pretty often he's like the tech guy who assists the main character with tech stuff. And a lot of the times he's like a conspiracy theorist and he's always talking about, oh, the government, man. Yeah, you're describing me. You don't have to rub it in. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's Dave Groves. He is like the most archetypal character um, on the entire show. It's just like every show in the mid-2000s needed this kind of guy. He just kind of tags along with Russell on adventures being like, no, Russell, you don't understand. It's aliens. And then Russell like is still like, no, that's there's no such fucking thing as aliens. <laughs> if I have to hear the word alien one more goddamn time, I will kill you. Now I, I want to bring something up here. Cause, uh, they don't actually use the word alien. Do no, they? They don't. I wanted to, yes, they say, uh, E B E's, which or stands for extraterrestrial, extraterrestrial biological, biological entity. entity. And the way that we know that, is because they say it like once an episode for the first nine episodes of this show. Yeah, it'll be Dave will say EBE, and then whoever he's talking to will be like, EBE, what the hell is that? It's like uh, uh, extraterrestrial biological entity. It's in the same way that anytime any character in anything ever has said EMP, they've immediately followed it up with electromagnetic pulse. It knocks out all communications in the area. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so so he is a like conspiracy blogger, um, which like what we mean by that is that there are scenes of him just like talking into a tape recorder and saying, <laughs> "Hey, bloggers." Yeah, they hadn't really figured out how to visually depict someone blogging at this point in no. two thousand five. So the way they do it is they just have him sort of aimlessly wandering around a room talking into a tape recorder, and then they don't show at any point him like transcribing. The recording, I think that's what we're meant to assume is happening. Yeah. But as far as we know, his blog, quote unquote, is just these tapes that he records. <laughs> he just like tosses them into yeah. the swamp and just like <laughs> they all... ra- he, he wraps them in like a, a, a chicken breast and just like waits for an alligator <laughs> to eat them. He just pops them out of the recorder and puts them in a box that says blog on the side. Yeah, yeah. It's like um 
he he would have like blown up in his whole conspiracy years ago if uh, Sheriff Tom hadn't like effectively given him a busy box <laughs> by just like renaming the D drive on his computer to blog and being like, <laughs> yeah, just upload a file to there and then, like it'll go out to millions. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, so the last characters are the kids, and we have to sort of outline. Uh, the ways that the kids are related. So there's Jesse Verone. Yeah. And he is the son of Russell and Dr. Mariel, who are now divorced. Mm -hmm. There's Kira Underlay, who is the daughter of Sheriff Tom and Sheriff Tom's dead wife, who is never seen on screen. No. And then there's Rose, who is the daughter of Russell and... Also, Muriel? I This no, one I don't remember. Wait, fuck. No, her last name's Underlay. It has to be... Right? No way. Ro no, it's Verone. It is Rose Verone on the cast list. Oh, fuck. So it must be from Russell and Dr. Muriel. Okay. Sure, yeah. No, th they're all kind of treated interchangeably in this regard, right? Where yeah. it's like... <laughs> they're just... They all come as just like a package tree, <laughs> <Every> basically. <laughs> it's like with every scene, they just have like a little like bag of dice and they just like roll it. And it's like, all right, the kids that appear in this scene will be Rose and Kira. Let's go. <laughs> um, yeah, so Jesse is uh, like a teenage boy. He is played by a young um, Evan Peters. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to him because he gives the best performance on this show as like an extremely weird, squirrely little dude. Uh, we love him. Yeah. We're going to talk some about the stuff he gets up to later, but like he is easily our, our favorite character. Yeah. Um, Kira Underlay is a teenage girl. She is like kind of a cool, popular teenage girl and she, uh, has certain types of romantic attractions that we will get to later. <laughs> Uh, other than that, not much to her. Yeah. Um, and finally, there is Rose Verone, who is the smallest of the children. She's like 10, and like all 10-year-old characters on most TV shows, she does not, she's not able to have a lot of impact on the story. No, but like, you know, she's very cute, and like, you know, she gives a good kid actor performance, and like yeah. most of what she's asked to do is just sort of be like, mommy, mommy, I, I had a dream about the themes of the show. <laughs> Just say it like these really like uh, 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 obvious ways about like mommy has changed and now everything is different, but we must do survival <laughs> and adaptation. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So you might've noticed a trend with these characters. That is the entire like main character list outside from like a, a couple of characters that are only really main characters by dint of like showing up in a number of episodes. Yeah. Um, but that's pretty much it. And you'll note they are all part of the same, like, extended, blended family. Uh, so right away, that idea of, like, an ensemble cast of, like, seemingly unconnected characters out the window here. Yeah, because the appeal of Lost is that all of these people, you know, uh, over the course of the show, it's revealed that they've had mm, sort of missed connections over the course of their lives sometimes in, in various surprising ways. But, like, the core to the appeal of Lost is that these are, like, very different people who are brought together by an extraordinary event and have to work together despite their differences. Mm -hmm. um, and they have different perspectives on it as well. Exactly, yeah. Like, everyone here comes from the same perspective. Yeah. These are all people who are, like, part of this, like, from the same town, in, like, the same kind of, like, socioeconomic, like, status, mm -hmm. um, who are all, like, socially connected with each other. 
there's no sense of like an outsider. There's no sense of like somebody who brings a different history to any of this. Yeah. They're all just the same fucking guy, even if like you have one of them say aliens are real and you have one of them say aliens aren't yeah. real. And like, uh, you know, there's no reason that they couldn't have been an extended family and all have been very different kinds of people. But I don't, that is a little bit beyond what Invasion is capable of, I think. And they really yeah. are just sort of, they act about the way you would expect a TV family to act, which is pretty much in all exactly the same ways. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, of course, is that, you know, we already mentioned this a little bit, but like, Divorce is 1,000% the beating heart of this show. Yes. This is theoretically like a slow-burning sci-fi mystery drama. What it actually is is a race car bed that is broadcast for 44 (laughs) minutes every week. It is like a a series, an ever-increasing series of bracelets up like a 45-year-old guy's (laughs) arm. (laughs) Um, It is a guy like posting like um bring me the horizon lyrics with like a a picture of like a wolf over them (laughs) (laughs) and just like sending threatening facebook dms to his ex-wife yeah uh that is 100 percent the vibe of the show everything that they say about like change and adaptation and survival because like those are the buzzers that they keep bringing up uh with regards to like you know the the people getting invasion and other people having to react to people getting invasion that is all in the service of like doing really blunt, really obvious metaphors about how like divorce can scar you, but you come out so much stronger. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a show about divorce. And you can hit on as many high school girls as you want. <laughs> um, yeah, it is extremely just like on the nose with all of that. Um, you know, stay tuned later in the episode for some uh, very shocking biographical information about our <laughs> intrepid showrunner. Um, uh, but that's it, right? That's the premise of our show. That Those are the main characters. And from here, we can just, like, dive right into talking about uh, yeah. what the show is like, right? So we're not going to talk about, obviously, like, every single episode. But Fuck we're going to no. hit the big, the things that interested us the most of that happened over the course of the show. And there's quite mm-hmm. a few. Um, but we'll talk about the pilot first. Um, the thing you have to understand about the pilot is, like we said, the uh, inciting incident of invasion involves a hurricane. Yeah. Um, now, some this might have occurred to some of you. Hold up. I'm just completely unrelatedly Googling the term Hurricane Katrina. Okay. <laughs> Please go ahead, Esther. <laughs> yeah, this might have... Some of you attentive listeners might have picked up on the fact this show premiered in the fall of 2005. September 21st, 2005. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, that was the pilot. Um, now, Ooh. I'm just just out of curiosity. Hannah, maybe you can tell us. Yeah. When, when was Hurricane Katrina? It says here uh, a couple weeks before that. Ooh, yeah. Less than a month, huh? <laughs> Motherfucker. Less than a month before the show were the first two episodes. Yeah. The whole, po- whole first two episodes are just hurricane imagery. Yeah. For month, less than a month before that aired, people were seeing like actual people dying on the news in a hurricane. Um, and this was posed a real problem for the show because like, it was like a huge part of the marketing initially, like, oh, you know, the hurricane changes everything. Yeah. Um, but, and, and like they, they spent so much effect budget on it in like the, the first episode, right? Where it's yeah. like, they wanted to advertise that in the same way that like the first episode of Lost obviously has like the big plane crash stunt. Yeah. They wanted to have like the big hurricane and be like, oh shit, we're going to show like trees being ripped up and like 
you know, roofs being caved in and all that shit. Mm -hmm. The hurricane creates chaos. Tonight, the four-star hit returns. People are gonna be scared after hurricane, you know? It's gonna change your behavior a little. I think there's more to him than what we know about. I'm sick of your games. This is no game. You're destroying my family. I'm not your problem. There's really nothing to worry about. Everything's under control. Invasion returns tonight at 10, 9 central. Why don't you give me some answers? Only on ABC. Um, those plans had to change just a little <laughs> bit. Yeah, I mean, obviously, they knew that no one would want to watch this show when it premiered if they knew that it was all going to be hurricane stuff. They took, it just wouldn't have, worked, wouldn't have worked out. So they took all that shit out of the marketing, which made the marketing, I think, probably a little limp a little uh, yeah it was right like juice. can you discover the secret of the invasion <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was just like if you're you know in 2005 and you're seeing that you're like i guess maybe <laughs> <laughs> but then bef right before the pilot aired it had to open with like a title card that was like hey just so you know this is all hurricanes yeah <laughs> like the whole time so we understand if you don't want to watch that um but that was the only real warning people had um the, mm -hmm. the show just kind of like got screwed by uh, being at the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, and I I don't know honestly like if they change any of like the content of the pilot because like something that we noted basically is that like it is kind of just like a dry ass looking hurricane. Yes, and that might be because like you know getting something with a real amount of verisimilitude would like be an insane budget concern. Yeah. Um, but it does kind of seem like a very dry hurricane like people who have like supposedly just been in it will like enter a scene and look like they have been baking in the hot hot sun <laughs> yeah it's not um surprisingly most of abc's budget that year was going to a different television program i think yeah um but definitely i think that they uh by virtue of that a lot of the hurricane imagery is a little uh toned down <laughs> Mm -hmm. um but yeah so there's the hurricane and people go into the water and some of them come back changed and it's just like, it's very episodic at first in a way that is yeah. really boring. <laughs> yeah, it'll just be like, here is kind of like a plot of the week that is based on like, you know, oh, this person went into the water and here's how he's a little different. Um, and it'll be something as exciting as like, some monkeys get loose and we think they yeah. might be making people sick, but it turns out they're not really making people sick. Here's the thing. I'm going to read the synopsis of episode four. Yeah. Here's the, here are the plots from this episode. Hit me up. Animals affected with a deadly flu virus escape from a sanctuary. Russell and Tom try to track them down. Jesse gets jealous as Kira flirts with a boy at a party. Mm-hmm. They are, they are related, remember? <laughs> They're not related, no. Um, a woman attacks Larkin, doubting her identity. Mariel shows more strange behavior. That's insane to be on episode four and be like, okay... Mariel, what do we have for you? <gasps> strange behavior. We have some, we just go to the actors, like, we have some more strange behavior for you. Um, we would love <laughs> if you could, if you could bring that on set. Um, but no, I think that's indicative of like, what was happening? Let's go, go back and look at what was, what was episode four of Lost? Yeah. Episode four of Lost, that was Walkabout, wasn't it? <laughs> episode four of Lost was one of the best known episodes of television in history. It was yeah. the episode, if you haven't seen it, I mean, go watch Lost. But if you haven't seen it, that's the episode where it's revealed that the character of Locke was uh, wheelchair bound before crashing on the island where he can walk. And that's the, there's like huge twist, like crazy, mm -hmm. that like was a huge hook for the show. Yeah. That's what was going on by episode four of Lost. By episode four of Invasion, 
Mariel is showing some more strange behavior. And it's like, I, again, the, the mystery is just so thin that they can't have characters like do even the slightest bit of figuring it out. And like, it's, it's the equivalent basically with like, I mean, you know, in Lost, we have the character of Jack, obviously, who is like the man of science. He doesn't like the fact that there are mysteries around him. And he like argues about like the scope of them a lot. Yeah. He's always trying to find a rational explanation. What is happening here isn't somebody trying to find a rational explanation. It would be like if Jack was like shaking Locke by the, the shoulders and just screaming at him like, we did not experience a plane crash. We're not on an island, John. This is Los Angeles. <laughs> if the plane dropped us off, it's Los Angeles. <laughs> and like, Locke will be like, no, I'll prove that this is an island. I will walk all the way around the island and there won't be any cities. And then like, you know, a, a couple episodes later, like Ben shows up and is like, aha, but you don't understand. That was just high tide. <laughs> if you had walked a little further, you would have gotten to LAX. <laughs> it really is just insufferable. Like the, the real problem with this show is that things become obvious to the viewer mm-hmm. way, way sooner than the show reveals them. And I, I think it's that, like, lack of serialized trust, basically. Yeah. Like, every episode of this feels, like, so terrified of, like, oh, fuck, will this plot make any sense as somebody who hasn't been watching every episode? So, like, we need to hit them with the EBE explanation again. We need to hit them with, like, a character who has been into water just, like, kind of staring at something, you know, off-puttingly. Um, and we need to have another beat where, like, a character thinks they have, like gotten a little more information but then like sheriff tom shows up and is like oh by the way there's no plot to this show like you're not allowed to look at plot um and they're like fuck i guess so and it's just like that for like almost the whole first i mean really the first third of the first season yeah i say the first season the season the season um (laughs) but yeah it's just it takes forever in doling out like yeah they, they won't even admit what's like we said what happened to these characters who have been invasioned for ages mm-hmm. and it's just it's just fucking torture because this is again it's a 22 episode season like tv used to be yeah it just takes forever and, and they also like try to for example hide like ooh, what does like sheriff tom know because he seems to know more than other people and it's just like if by episode four you haven't figured out that he's also been invasion but like <laughs> much earlier than everyone else because like the show opens with a plane crash. Yeah, which is kind of like when, uh, you know, when someone makes a movie called Transmorphers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's opening um, this show with a plane crash. Same CGI quality there. Yes. Uh, but then there was also, like, a plane crash in 1996 where Sheriff Tom's first wife died and he fell into the water and came back, like, miraculously recovered. And so it's just like, you have all the information from very early on to know that like, oh, well, he's got invasion a while ago. He knows all the score about like who's been invasion, who hasn't. And he's trying to stop everybody from learning basically because he's worried that like, if it goes public, then like people like him are going to get put under a microscope and whatnot. Uh, But that is all like super obvious again, from the jump, pretty much. It takes you a couple episodes at tops to to figure that out. Um, But like, he will just be every single fucking episode doing shit like, do you want to talk about the fake Haitian? Why don't you tell everyone what the fake Haitian is? Okay, so one of the last times that Larkin tries to do something <laughs> is she was like... Episode seven, by episode the way. Episode <laughs> fuck. 
She was like, uh, that's both way too late and way too early <laughs> for various aspects of this. So she was trying to investigate some stuff with like the Air Force and how like they had a number of these like steel boxes um, that had mysterious stuff in them. And as she's trying to investigate this, she gets like run off the road by somebody mysterious and like she is trying to get to the hospital because like she's pregnant and she wants to make sure that her baby's gonna be okay. And this Haitian fisherman shows up and is like, oh, I can I can help you out. And he like takes her to his shack um, and just starts telling her like, oh, by the way, I was fishing in this area. The Air Force asked me to find like some strange fish and check this out. I got this strange squid. Isn't that an answer to the thing that you're currently <laughs> investigating? And um, uh, uh, Larkin's just like, huh. I suppose that is. I guess it was just a squid. Yeah. And then the Haitian guy at the end of the episode, like, gets on the phone with Sheriff Tom, who's like, all right, you told her about the squid. Good work. And he reveals that he has not been Haitian this whole time. He's just an American guy. He's been doing an accent. (laughs) It's bizarre because, like, he's lying to her about a lot of things. He didn't need to do an Haitian accent. (laughs) There was no reason for it. He is just that friend who, like, gets half a beer at him and, like, is like, hey, check this out. I'm Jamaican mom. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that is really indicative of, like, what the first third of the show is. It's just, like, the characters are sort of, like, fumbling around in the dark trying to figure out what the plot is. Mm -hmm. Um, And Sheriff Tom, like, keeps just, like, inserting, just sliding brick walls down in front of them. (laughs) I'm like, oh, I guess it's not... Guess it's not this way. Let's turn around. Yeah. <laughs> They're all getting bad. Like, the characters in the show are just constantly getting, like, little uh, sheets put over their enclosures, and they're like, fuck, it's nighttime. We'll have to resume the investigation tomorrow. <laughs> um, episode nine, though, is about when things start changing. Yeah, things start to things, things start to kick off. The main plot of this episode is that Mariel finds her own corpse in a lake and is like, "Huh, that's kind of that's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, I should ask my husband about this." And what Tom does is just find a similar-looking blonde woman <laughs> and dump her corpse in the lake and then do a big show of doing like we're going to dredge the lake. And then he pulls up the fake corpse and it's like, "See, Mariel, it was another dead woman." Yeah, and then I, I, we're gonna get to the meat of this episode. But the the best part about this is later in the, in the following episode, uh, Sheriff Tom's deputy is like, "Oh, uh, Sheriff, I contacted the family of that dead woman," and he's like, "You what? <laughs> <laughs> Why would you do that?" Yeah, it's so funny after you've seen him just like completely bamboozle everyone that with the slightest amount of pushback, he's just like, "What?" <laughs> Like, deputy, I'm your only friend. Everyone else hates you. <laughs> we'll talk about, about Deputy Sirk in a bit, because he's oh, yeah. a great character. But let's talk about what happens in episode nine. Yeah. Um, are we talking about uh, uh, Russell's uncle? Yeah, we should talk about Russell's dark past. Yeah, so Russell Verone, we mentioned that he's the pissed guy, the Jack Shepard guy. Um, it's very clear to us at this point in the show that, like, some ABC producers were just, like, calling up the show and being like sean come on man like there, there's nothing happening on this show like sean i loved the episode this week um we were wondering we talked a couple weeks ago about things happening on the show i was i know you said that that was a great idea i think it's a great idea for things to happen yeah could you make the characters do yeah. something please uh, here's what i was thinking and you tell me if i'm wrong yeah i was hoping maybe in, in next week the characters could do do something <laughs> and maybe something could happen 
Yeah, just like some producer, like the, the producer that did the previously on Lost voiceover. is <laughs> <laughs> just taking all the characters in a terrarium and just like shaking them up <laughs> until they do fucking something. Uh, which in this case is Russell revealing his backstory, which is that like he's a, he's a white Cuban guy, right? And yeah. he was talking about how like his, uh, when he came to America first, like he was uh, put into the care of his uncle who was basically the Scarface Joker. Yeah. And he just like, just like talking in front of a campfire. There's no like lost style flashback. There's no like attempt to dramatize this in any way. But he just delivers like this five minute monologue about how like, yeah, my uncle would just like uh, uh, skin people's faces off and call them fat. <laughs> and just like one day I, I decided that was too much. And so I killed him. <laughs> And, like, I I got let off with, like, two months of picking up litter. (laughs) It's so... It is so far outside, like, the tone of what invasion is for him to reveal this. Never brought up again, by the way. Mm -hmm. Even once. It's like, yeah, my uncle was was the Joker, and I murdered him (laughs) as a child. (laughs) It's... But it is definitely the moment where it's like, okay, invasion, things are kicking off. Um, Things are starting to happen. Mm -hmm. And maybe... Maybe the show will will get going. Maybe it'll be good. Yeah. Um, uh, Dave gets kidnapped by some bloggers. Yes. Dave is kidnapped and brought to like a black site warehouse by his blog readers. I, I'm not going to lie. If you told me that this warehouse was just like another set in the show where you're like, oh, th- that's just where like Russell lives. Don't you recognize <laughs> that set? I'd be like, yeah, sure. Probably. Yeah. That episode's great because it draws out for so long what the blog readers want from him. Yeah. And eventually by the end of the episode, it's revealed that neither Dave nor the blog readers know anything about what's going on. (laughs) And they've just been each trying to get the other to tell them what they know. And the, and it's like, it's just drawn out for the whole episode. Like they waterboard him for information. And the reveal at the end is like, yeah, we don't, we're just, we just read your blog. And (laughs) we were hoping you would know more about what's going on with the invasion. Yeah. Like it's, it's more shit as well with the, like, like the fake Haitian stuff where it's like, wait, why is that part of the deception? (laughs) Where it's like after like half an hour of this, this episode where he's just getting like waterboarded and interrogated. He's like, can you at least tell me your name? And like the main blog reader is like, it's Healy. And he's like, is that your real name? And he says, no. <laughs> it's like, all right, man. <laughs> Which leads l- later on to a great reveal when uh, Russell and Dave and Healy finally have grown to trust each other a little. And Healy, they're like walking away and Healy goes, I want to tell you one more thing. My real name is Alonzo. <laughs> and it's just like the big reveal. Imagining the television without pity for him. It's just being like, guys, Healy is Alonzo. Did you see? Did you see Invasion last night? Healy is Alonzo. And then he just gets like killed off screen the <laughs> yeah, next he, episode. Guys, I think that same episode. No, they, they have nothing to do with any of these characters. Like, again, they're trying to be cagey and like mysterious about it. But it's just nobody on this show knows anything about what's yeah. going on except for the one guy who is like committed to doing Looney Tunes abuse and gaslighting to everyone else. And across this stretch, it's also revealed um, that there's some sort of like some sort of like work camp being set up so we should talk about this there's this teenage boy named derek Mm -hmm. who's really like pursuing and hitting on kira um and then he gets invasion he gets invasioned and uh do you want to read the oh i don't need to read it i have it committed to memory all right uh, the line from an episode synopsis that says transformed 
Derek switches his interest to Mariel, incurring the wrath of Underlay. That's right. He incurs the wrath of Underlay. Underlay is just like telling him, son, my wife is not the answer. Yeah, he says, he says, he takes him, puts one arm around his shoulder and he says, Derek, my wife is not the answer. Yeah, he like slams his head into a, a like a, a, the steering wheel of a car and is just like, son, do you want to play baseball? And sends him <laughs> off to like an alien work camp that he set up in the Keys. Yeah, and he, say, he says later of Derek, because Derek later returns, and we'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. But while explaining to another character what happens, he says, and this is a direct quote, he started messing around with me. So I sent him to a little work camp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the work camp is basically what he does for like, People who have been invasion because, like, he doesn't want them making a big fuss on the mainland. Because, um, again, he doesn't want people yeah. investigating anything. His whole goal is, like, you know, to be clear, he wants to protect the invasioned people by making sure, like, the secret doesn't get out. Yeah. And this becomes complicated because there's a lot of invasion people now. Yeah. And uh, let's let's talk about maybe the best instance of that in the show. Yes. So there's the character of Christina. Oh, no. I was talking about Cirque. Oh, no, yes. Very, very quickly, Christina... Because uh, we'll get back to her later, but yeah. we should introduce... There's a character of Christina who's played by young Elizabeth Moss, actually, from Mad Men, mm-hmm. uh, doing a great, deranged... A terrible, uh, terrible performance. An awesome performance. She sucks ass. <laughs> she's... No, she's, like, very hammy. She is the dark slut. Like, every yeah. one of her lines is just being like, I used to be such a good girl, but now I'm evil and yeah. fucked. The whole... Because the whole thing is, she is like she was, like, a teen mom, and then she got invasioned... And then one day her grandma comes to the police and she's like, oh, my granddaughter, uh, she like tried to throw her baby out the window. And she said, this isn't mine. I'm an alien. Um, this is not literally, but basically yeah. that's what happened. And then they do a DNA test. And Dr. Mariel is like, well, actually, this baby doesn't have the same DNA as her because uh, the mom, Christina, has been invasioned. Um, but Christina is just like a cackling supervillain teenage girl yeah uh, and she's awesome but she is eventually sent to the work camp as well and she yeah because like she murders her her mom she murders her grandma she murders her mom for like trying to get her to raise the baby (laughs) and as punishment uh underlay just like uh puts her into work camp christina is an awesome character christina is the most like cookie monster pajama pants yeah character you could think of except that she's like a serial killer Yeah, uh, but yeah, she she just shows up for like one episode right now. She'll come back later. Yeah, we have to talk the about main <laughs> character that we're talking about here right now is our guy Louis Cirque. Yeah. He's that deputy that we mentioned earlier. Um, how would you describe uh, Cirque's vibe? He is uh, gormless. I mean, yeah. you had the best description of him. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's like if Boyd Crowder was Kenneth the Page. <laughs> He's like a, a very howdy doody ass motherfucker who's just like, well, sir, uh, uh, gosh, uh, <laughs> we can't lie to people about, you know, who got invasion or whatnot. <laughs> um, but he's like, you know, very earnest, very Christian. Um, he's like a veteran who like lost an arm in Afghanistan. Um, and like for the first eight episodes, he'll just show up occasionally, deliver a bit of expository dialogue, be like, uh, Sheriff Tom's like deputy who happens to have one arm. Yeah. But then when the plot with him really starts kicking off, he gets dunked into water, and when he comes back, he's got both of his arms yeah. again, right? Because the way that the invasion works, as we find out, is basically they the aliens sort of make a clone of you with all yeah. of your memories that is a hybrid of the alien DNA and your DNA. But because it's a clone you know, any injuries that you incurred, like when they talk about with Christina, it's like, well, she doesn't have like stretch marks or any kind of like, you know, uh, tearing associated with a pregnant, like giving birth. Mm -hmm. Um, because any like, you know, 
post-birth injuries that you would sustain that aren't part of your DNA. Wow, just like a trans woman to call giving birth an injury. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Fertility Goddess, the number one radical feminist podcast that also talks about Invasion 2005. Yeah. But so Cirque, because he lost the arm in war, when he comes back, he has two arms. And Mm -hmm. he is like... So happy that he has two arms. It's a Christmas miracle. He is seen like literally. They show him like doing like he is like uh, has a basketball and he's like doing crossovers and dunking. <laughs> yeah. Like so happy that he finally has two arms so he can hoop. And like here's the thing: this is like a Southern Florida suburb in 2005. This would have been like the highest concentration of white boys doing like uh, uh, layups in their driveways yeah. while like trying to set up mixtapes called Addicted to the Money set to G-Unit songs. I mean, here's the thing. Like, D-Wade was about to win that chip with the Miami Heat. Like, there this we was go. a huge deal. In fact, I think actually now... <laughs> Fuck you, Esther. ...is a good time uh, to uh, transition to our sub-podcast. Welcome to a podcast within the, log- the Lost Podcast <laughs> called The Smash McDouble. Yeah, this is our podcast where we talk about the NBA. So just put the invasion stuff on hold for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just gonna talk about basketball for a couple minutes. Okay. Esther wants to do this specifically because her team is doing a little better in the playoffs than my team. A little better, yeah. My team is going to the conference finals, the Denver Nuggets. Uh, um, my team is only the second eighth seed to ever lose. Or sorry, only the second first seed to ever lose to an eighth seed. Um, Milwaukee Bucks, you are fucking out of here. Yeah. If only we had had any offense besides Giannis. Coach Bud has been um, cut in half by his bookie. Um, he's out of here. Uh, the the guys from Uncut Gems came and shot him in the head. He is having like a, 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 a scene for like the Detroit sections of Justified happen to him. <laughs> Where like the shitty Toten kid is just like cutting him up with a circular <laughs> saw going like, oh geez, oh man. <laughs> uh, but yeah, hey. Uh, as we record this, we're mere days away from the Denver Nuggets crushing the Los Angeles Lakers in the in the Western Conference Finals, which will probably be over by the time we release this. Uh, so probably. you'll know that I was correct. Mm-hmm. Um, Nuggets in six. That's on the record. Uh, yep. We'll see how that turns out. We'll see if they can do it in fewer games. And it turns out that um, you cannot just mid-range people to death. That, like, no, yeah, that's the thing. The, uh, <laughs> the whole theory of like, oh, we don't need to have our players like play any games with each other ever. We could just like out talent people by having them do like ISO dribble moves yeah. over and over again. We can build our roster like it's 2K. And if we just get enough 90 overalls, <laughs> yeah, uh, then we'll win because, you know, we just need the strongest players. Mm-hmm. And who cares that they can't shoot threes? Yeah, it's not like three is worth 50 percent more than two. <laughs> Esther is riding so high on this. And I, I feel love amazing. Her. I feel <laughs> genuinely. I've spent the past couple days just looking at Suns fans, like Twitter feeds and YouTube yeah. channels. You haven't had a stomach ache for like a couple days. No, now. I've actually been like healing. Yeah, I, I think I don't think I'll ever be sick again. You're you've been invasion now. Like every yeah. defect with your body is gone. <laughs> you no longer have like insane spring allergies. Or, like the moment you step outside, like your eyes completely closed. <laughs> I no longer say things like a good. <laughs> uh, this has been uh, an inaugural episode of the Smash McDouble. We now return to the Lost Broadcasts. Okay, so 
uh, like we mentioned, uh, this howdy doody motherfucker, Deputy Cirque, has both of his arms again, and he's just going up to, um, you know, uh, Sheriff Underlay and being like, Sheriff, Sheriff, you know, God gave me my other arm back. I can hold so many cans of beans now. Watch me go. <laughs> just cuts to him, like, at the Kroger, just, yeah. like, scooping up more and more. He's juggling machetes. Yeah. Um, but then, Sheriff Tom has a certain reaction to this news. Because this is a problem, right? Sheriff Tom's whole goal, like we said, is to keep the invasion under wraps. Mm-hmm. So when his infamously one-armed deputy... <laughs> suddenly shows up one day and he has two arms that's something that's a little hard uh to (laughs) explain away yeah so what does he do so what he does is he takes deputy cirque out to an abandoned cabin in the woods and he gives him a chainsaw and he says son i think you know what you have to do and he and he revs the chainsaw and walks away and he basically explains it to him like well, God is testing you. It's like, it was part of his design to take your arm away in the first place. So by giving it back, he's seeing if you're going to be a pussy. Yeah, in fact, I think he he says, and I'll quote from Tom again, God must have helped you make the decision to cut off your arm. (laughs) Which is what happens. Deputy Cirque cuts off his new arm with a chainsaw. Yeah, you just like hear him in the background going like, oh! <laughs> yeah, Tom doesn't even do it for him. He makes that's, him... That's the most insane part. Yeah. He makes him cut off his own arm. And then when someone... Well, then when they return to town and his like snoo stump is bandaged up and someone says, what happened? He goes, oh, he got shot. In the stump. In the stump. <laughs> This is easily the best stretch of the show. Yeah, like, it's, it's the craziest. It's when, like, the Looney Tunes gaslighting gets the funniest. <laughs> and, and, like, it's it's when, like, the, the his schemes, you know, are, are, are most, like, over the top. And Cirque is just, like, a really fun performance. Um, yeah. If you've seen the, the fan footage movie Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, uh, Cirque is played by the main uh, killer from that. So yeah. shout out to him. Um, but as he's recovering... What does Cirque do? Uh, well, uh, he's recovering in Sheriff Tom's house, mm-hmm. uh, where his daughter, 15-year-old Kira, lives. Is she 15? Fuck. She's, I, that, I mean, I assume that's that's the... The actress is like 21, yeah. but like, yeah. Because she, she's supposed to be younger than Jesse, I think. Yeah, she's like high school and not like a senior. Yeah, so I, I think she's probably supposed to be about 15. Mm-hmm. Um, the two of them have a connection. <laughs> Yeah, and Cirque is, like, 30 or so. I think they say he's, like, 25, but, like, the actor is very clearly, like, well into his 30s. Yeah, that's the thing. In 2005, the idea... It's like, oh, the actors are too far apart. If we want this romance to work, we have to make it so he's 25 and she's 15. <laughs> then people will really buy it. Yeah, so so he's the ethical pedophile. Um, that's absolutely how they portray it, like... They spend a lot of time basically just like having the two characters just be like, you know, what? No, Deputy Cirque, he's just a friend. He's just a very sweet guy. I just like spending time with him. But then like there's a, a scene where um, Sheriff Underlay like comes across the two of them just like in a tent and like Cirque doesn't have his shirt on. <laughs> and just like when he opens it, he's like, sir, I thought this might happen. And I just want you to know. I never wear a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, they, they keep, like, tiptoeing around it, but eventually they do just have them kiss. Yeah. And, again, it is not portrayed as, like, 
it's portrayed as like you know like Sheriff Tom has an issue with it, but he's just kind of an overprotective guy in general, right? Like yeah. he didn't want Derek like you know having any interest in in Kira, right? And, and Sheriff Tom also just convinced a man to cut off his own arm. So this is not a situation where like we're supposed to side with him. No, <laughs> no, we like it's so weird because like they, they don't really go far with it. It's just like a little you know chased cute little kiss or whatever. But like it is just straight up like. That's Are we ch- supposed to be on his side? That's a child. That's a child. Yeah, although, the, I mean, the, the really funny thing about their relationship is in their first real conversation, mm-hmm. Deputy Sirk and Kira, um, he's telling her, like, well, you know, uh, your father's a man of God, and, and that's why I trust him. And Kira's like, my dad doesn't believe in God. Yeah. What are you talking about? He has, like, about? a dartboard with, like, the, fa- <laughs> the true face of the divine on it. <laughs> and Deputy Sirk is like, but... I could never follow someone who didn't believe in the Lord. And remember, he has just cut his own arm off at this man's behest. It's so fucking funny that like, that's the part that really like, um, you know, it just devastates him. It's just like, damn, I would have loved to cut off my arm. If like the guy who did it, like listened to Christian rock, (laughs) he's like, he doesn't even know who Switchfoot is. Um, and this is, um, you know, Sheriff Tom just gets more devious and devious because the next yeah. real thing that happens, and I'm going to read again directly from the plot synopsis, Tom disappears while taking the kids for a, quote, little adventure, unquote, <laughs> at a cabin and brings along a mysterious bag. Yeah, the mysterious bag turns out to just be full of presents. Well, it's let's describe the bag. Because yeah. it is, like, a six-foot-long duffel bag. Like, there could be a dead body in it. Yeah, like, it fits fully underneath a bed. Mm-hmm. The full length of the bed. So eventually, you know, Jesse, the oldest the oldest son, gets really suspicious and he goes to open the big bag that Sheriff Tob has brought with him and the kids on their little adventure <laughs> uh, to the cabin. Um, and he opens it up and there's presents inside. And I think, like, Kira gets a locket with a picture of her mom and then, like, uh, Rose gets, like, a, a picture book or something. Do you remember what Jesse gets? He gets a fucking gun. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse, Jesse gets given a revolver, a six shooter. Yeah, he he gets given the Ranger Sequoia from Fallout New Vegas. It's the best gun in the game. And that Jesse is yeah. now he's the most powerful character. And that turns out to have been the secret of the bag. But wait, there's a further twist because after the kids go to bed, it turns out that Healy is Alonzo. <laughs> after the kids go to bed, Sheriff Tob reveals a hidden second identical bag. <laughs> Which is just full of guns and ammo, which he then throws into the <laughs> throws into the ocean, where it is retrieved by the hybrids who are at the work camp. Yeah, it's it's again, it's that stupid type of like mystery writing where it's like, why would the character actually like phrase a deception in this way? <laughs> like, this is just being done so that there is an extra bit of a twist yeah. for the viewer. Like, they, they are pantomiming things for a TV audience rather than, yeah. like, actually trying to deceive anyone or be surreptitious about anything. Exactly. It's it's totally, totally unnecessary that he would bring two identical, enormous duffel bags yeah. so that one could be a decoy for his children. Yeah. Um, before, before we stray too much away from the ethical pedophile stuff, though, I want to say <laughs> that, like, some viewers might have found that a bit of a relief. Because uh, the thing that it sort of replaced is that in the first, like, third of the series, it's the ethical incest, right? Yes, yeah, so we did sort of hint at this before mm-hmm. when um, Jesse got very jealous seeing that Derek was hitting on his 
half-sister Kira. Or no, actually, okay, so here's the thing. I don't think they're related at all. They're not related by blood or by marriage. Because no, but, like, they're part of the same, like, family unit. And that's like, the thing. People will, like, go up to Jesse at parties and be like, hey, dude, your sister's hot. Yeah, right? And he'll just like, say, like, yes, I agree. To reiterate, Jesse is the son of Russell and Mariel. And Kira is the son of Tom and Tom's dead wife. So yeah. they are not related by blood. They are... But here's the thing. They're clearly, like... They're closer than cousins, right? Like, yeah. They basically live together. They see each other every day. They they are siblings. And the fucking, like, weird romantic tension between them for the first part of the season is unacceptable. <laughs> yeah, so it's like a real crapshoot of, like, what you're going to do with poor Kira here. And, like, the one chance that she had was Derek, but, like, unfortunately, transformed, he switched his interest yeah. to Mariel. And he got sent to a little work camp. Yeah, because he incurred a wrath of underlife. Yes. Um... So, like, yeah, the, the, the incest stuff disappears, like, in the middle stretch of the season, and then it comes back towards the end after the pedophile stuff has, like, died down. Yes. So, like, I, all I can say is thank goodness we did not get a second season for them to resolve that love triangle. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, small blessings, people. Yeah. So the way that that develops, by the way, with Kira is that uh, we have a whole arc with the return of Christina, yeah. who's been at the work camp with Derek, and remember, she is insane. She is like Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's yeah. like, but she is also like, you know, one of the girls from the bling ring. She yes. Is like, <laughs> like, I don't want to do this stupid work camp anymore. I want to break a nail. <laughs> so what I'll do instead is just murder some guys and run away with Derek. And I'll like, you know, seductively, uh, you know, inspire Derek to do all the killing for me. Um, <laughs> yeah. And they run away and they make it back to town. Um, where they meet Kira and they inspire her to shoplift and be bad. <laughs> oh, and, and Christina is also pregnant at this point, by the way, with Derek's child. But because they're both invasioned, the child is like growing at an abnormal rate and she keeps like, you know, having quicker than normal pregnancy symptoms. There's a great exchange between um, Russell and Healy slash Alonzo where Russell is like, I think that the hybrids might just be a bridge species to what comes next. And, you know, that's like what they're seeding with the stuff about like Christina's like super fast growing fetus. Um, but then like Healy just responds and says, don't discount the hybrids. <laughs> it's a perfect example of the show. Like really stilted writing. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we get that exact sentiment expressed twice by two different characters. Yeah. Don't discount the hybrids. Um, and in fact, what the hybrids are doing at this point, uh, Christina and Derek is that they're like, Eventually, they have a plan to dunk Kira in the water as well after going on this little crime spree. They want to make her invasioned. Yeah, but as it turns out, she is rejected because... Go ahead. Because uh, anyone who is, quote, not perfect gets rejected by these, like, stingray aliens that, like, look like shit, are really bad CGI, are kind of orange glowy, and are the aliens that invasion people. It is the biggest load of fucking bullshit. (laughs) imaginable because like what what do you mean they only take you if you're perfect they took a guy with one arm like are we talking physical perfection because he had one arm and they take people who were like injured near death later in the Mm -hmm. season so it really is the biggest it's like i mean it is in the classic tv sense of like oh you know the lost writer's room had a very consistent vision of what the overarching narrative of the show was but it's very clear that on this show they didn't have that so like they just had to figure out a cop-out. They just wrote themselves into a corner with, oh no, Kira wetted the water. <laughs> How could we make it so she's not invasion? Oh, well, yeah. they only take you if you're perfect. 
Yeah, and and again, it's the sort of thing where it's like, I mean, maybe they would have evolved into like having some sort of more interesting version of that because like I don't need it to be like completely rigorous and consistent and all that, but like I need it to be fucking something. Um, and maybe they would have done that with a later season. Uh, this was conceived for five seasons, by the way. It's supposed to run for five seasons, yeah. <gasps> they didn't even get a fucking bullshit, like, comic book continuation like a lot of these shows do. Yeah, no, that's that's the saddest part. <laughs> it's like, you, you don't get something published on Image Comics that runs for six issues. It's like, man, what good are you if you can't get that? Yeah. Um, what the fuck happens in a plot next? So it's, well, Kira and Derek kidnap, or sorry, Christina and Derek yeah kidnap kira they try to dunk her into water and they hold her at gunpoint um and eventually uh they send christina and derek back to the work camp which we find out is being run by a mysterious man named mr bean named named, mr rowan bean atkinson named eli for cia (laughs) eli zura is his name eli zura he does look startlingly startlingly like mr bean is a very pasty like you know heavy lidded english guy yeah um he is supposed to be like this cultured you know menacing badass who is like a hybrid and he's also a former cia officer and he's a sociopath yeah and he like wrote a book so you know he's smart what was the name of that book the book is called robin hood and the cambrian explosion they find the manuscript at one point yeah robin hood and the cambrian explosion <laughs> do you want to try to get that to roll off the tongue just a little <laughs> bit more it is, it is kind of is the perfect like bullshit book that like a professor of genetics would publish. Yeah, Robin Hood and a Cambrian Explosion is my favorite progressive metal album. <laughs> <laughs> but Zura, Eli, Eli Zura is the guy who Russell has sort of brought on to run the work camp to sort of, which is basically... He's, uh, that, not, not Russell, uh, Sheriff that, Tom. That Sheriff Tom is brought in because in he his mind... Sheriff Tom's franchisee. <laughs> yes, literally he is. He's like, we just need to like keep the more troublesome people busy at the work camp. So just don't just you know just watch over them. But what Zura takes this as an opportunity to do is to to uh, give all of them weapons and try to build a hybrid invasion army. Yeah. Um, in order to enact his final plan, because Zura, who is not introduced until like the last, like the fourth to last episode of the season, is mm-hmm. the big bad of the season. It eventually turns out that they, Russell and Tom and everyone, have to team up against Zura to stop his evil plan. It's just unbelievably poorly paced um like yeah he he has introduced seven episodes from the end but again like they do this like another one of these like endless like fake house that don't amount to anything where he's like introduced as like some aid worker but then like by the end of the episode it's like that aid worker was eli zura and it's like okay do i care about that there's a great one where russell and dave have like uh they stumble across him because they've been searched because they know he's been like killing people. He like murders Christina and Derek, by the way, that's how that plot. Line yeah. Is. <laughs> um, and they're like, Russell and Dave know that this has happened. Um, and there's just this whole standoff where it's like, they have to let Zura go back, like right off in a boat to his Island. And the cop is like, no, that's not Eli Zura. That's whatever his name is. He's a humanitarian aid worker. Yeah. It's like, no, no, no. That's the most evil man. alive. Yeah. And it, again, it's so funny because it's, it's not like, I mean, like, I think, again, they were trying to do something vaguely similar to, like, the the thing where with how Ben Linus is introduced in Lost, or, like, for a couple episodes, he's posing as this, like, balloonist who, like, you know, uh, uh, crashed on the island, and, you know, it's he just seems like this 
innocent, kind of nerdy, shy guy. But then he turns out to be this mastermind. But it's like, that worked because it was this interplay between, like, can you really trust him? You know, is this persona that he's putting up, like, real? Whereas here, it's like, guys, this guy that appeared in one scene and made no impression was actually another character that you don't know about. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, that's not a fucking twist. (laughs) That's not a twist. I don't care if Helios Alonzo Christ. So why don't, I mean, you know, there's little bits and bobs I think we can come back to, but why don't we talk yeah. about, like, what is Zero's plan? Because it's... He's going to dunk everyone. <laughs> his plan ends up being, he's going to, because, by the way, there's another hurricane. Yeah. Another hurricane happens. And mm-hmm. he takes this as pre pretense to get everyone who's not invasion to go to, like, a hurricane shelter, which turns out to just be a big warehouse. And his plan is to literally use a bunch of army guys to push everyone into the water. Like, yeah, physically just throw them he's, in. He's dressing up his hybrids in, like, National Guard uniforms, and he's just having them individually toss people into the water <laughs> so they can get invasion. So that the whole town could be invasion. It's the funniest fucking setup, because it's like, you know, a big surprise on Lost was would have been like, oh my god, there's a fucking smoke monster? Yeah. I can't believe, or like, you know... The others kidnapped Walt? This is crazy. The, the big bad's vil- villain plan at the end of season one is that he's going to push everyone into the water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, watch out. He has all the menace of like the slightly mean kid on your <laughs> swim team. <laughs> uh, but they, they do foil his plan. Um, and there's a big cliffhanger at the end because, uh, you know... It, in like halfway through the final episode they foil his plan and everyone goes home but then there's a big twist because there's some (laughs) there's some characters uh one of them is like another high school student yeah uh whose whole family got invasioned yeah like there's there's a bit of high school digressions because like most of the show takes place over the summer but then towards the end it's like or like the schools are closed because of the hurricane i think too for a while yeah cool it's just an excuse to not make an impression on me. It's just an excuse for the kids to not have to always be in school for every yeah. timeline, basically. But they do like a back to school plot, like kind of a couple episodes during the end, and it turns out that like again, Zura's whole goal is to like make a majority, but it seems like over half the kids at the school are already invasion. Because <laughs> like the moment that Jesse just shows up again, it's like, oh yeah, everybody here is now sitting in different like lunch table groups and like when he goes into the gym, it's just everybody is doing, like, blind chess passes to each other. <laughs> they're just, like... Uh, that scene is great, yeah. Yeah, they're just, like, tossing basketballs at each other with their eyes closed. Yeah. There's actually... It's kind of a running theme that being an alien hybrid makes you really good at basketball. Yeah. Yeah, they, they would be 2K monsters. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's, like, there, there's a kid that he meets there who's, like, yeah, my whole family got invasioned, and I hate everybody who's been invasion because, like, you know like my dad like threw me out and and shit so that kid and someone that like i'm gonna be honest i don't have any idea who this fucking guy is he's not we watched this season twice yeah and we skipped a couple episodes the second time but not that many i don't have any idea who this character is supposed to be he just shows up at the end he yeah he is like this anti-invasion high schoolers like 35 year old friend (laughs) who's just like we need to like kidnap people who we think have gotten invasion <laughs> and uh in the course of them doing that they they kidnap um like jesse kira and larkin and dave yeah 
And um, there's like a struggle, basically. I think like Sheriff Tom arrives to try to like resolve the situation, get the guns out of like the kidnappers' hands. But in the ensuing struggle, um, it's Larkin who ends up getting shot. Yes. This, by the way, is all happening in like the second half of the final episode after Zur has been killed, after like the whole big like main plot has been wrapped up Mm -hmm. by the way it's been wrapped up when like the air force just shows up and is like oh by the way we've known about this shit the whole time (laughs) like (laughs) we know that these national guard guys are hybrids we're gonna like kill them all or like make (laughs) them all stand down and they just do that like effortlessly yeah um which like again amazing way to like understand the stakes of your story yeah it's it's and like sometimes i think it's cool when a show is like oh you thought the story was over like i think um what shows like game of thrones did this a bunch where it's yeah. like oh the final episode you think everything's wrapped up but here's a big fucking twist see yeah, you next like, year famously like game of thrones would always do like the big battle episodes and like the penultimate yeah. episode or the season exactly yeah so like i can appreciate that as a tv fan but it definitely is like when the big climax of the show was resolved so limply yeah it's like well okay i guess i guess more stuff's happening <laughs> yeah it's like uh, you know okay if that didn't wow you, we're like a bunch of like Air Force guys showed up and we're just like, uh, stop having a plot, guys. <laughs> if um, your mind wasn't fucking blown to smithereens by that. Then again, a high schooler and his 35-year-old friend. Are going to shoot a woman who was a reporter at one point. Yeah. And uh, what's the very last thing that we see in the show? Well, the only way that Larkin's life can be saved because they, the hospital's too far away. But mm-hmm. you know what's really close by? the ocean <laughs> so he takes her to the ocean and dunks her in and makes her a hybrid and the last scene is russell arriving at the beach by the way having just seen tom's truck like parked by the beach and just being like huh, huh what's tom's going day. on here and he's, russell's like what did you do tom you made my wife a freaking alien yeah just the, the very last shot of the show is just him being like what happened tom what happened and then tom's not responding and then we're done. Yeah. We're fucking out. That's the end of Invasion. Congratulations, guys. We made it. We made it. We did it. Um, they they have talked about, like, what would happen next a little bit. In fact, uh, the Wikipedia page has a whole section called Future Plot Lines. Um, so here, here's some that actor Tyler Labine, who played Dave, said, uh, quote, Sean Cassidy, the creator, told me that Lurkin was going to be presumed dead. I was going to get all militant and shave my head. And- <laughs> And Russell and I were going to join forces against Tom. Tom was going to find out that his first wife was actually alive. And she was running this whole military operation. And she was Zura's boss. So that was going to be like the big hook of season two. Yeah. First off, I have Googled Tyler Labine bald. That big uh, Dave (laughs) Groves' actor. And you're not pulling it off, buddy. By the way, Tyler Labine... um, Fun, fine performance, mm-hmm. you know, not that bad. He's like, he's on like every TV show. <laughs> go go look at his IMDb page. Yeah, he's he had shows a long up for career. one episode and everything. He yeah. is like, I, I, I'm declaring this blind. Uh, he was great as like a one episode villain on Justified. I would be shocked if that wasn't the case. There's yeah, no I'm not going to check Justified. that, but it's true. Um, but uh, of course we mentioned the, the, the real standout from like the the cast and that I I'm so excited to see what would have happened for him in season two. There's no information on this, but like, I want to know so bad what would have happened to Jesse played by Evan Peters. Yes. Because he, he was starting to have a breakdown near the end of season one. There's a great scene near the end of season one. 
where Lurkin just finds him in the backyard, drunk, and shooting his gun at pictures of his family. Yes. <laughs> and she's like trying to scold him for it and be like, Jesse, what's wrong with you? And he says, you can have the beer. The gun's mine. <laughs> it's the most awesome scene because like, the climax of the season happens immediately after that. Yeah. So it's just not picked up on again. No, yeah, it's so cool. But again, and I need to stress how much he is not cool when he says that. <laughs> oh my God. He is the most, like, you know, standing all the time with, like, the most hunched shoulders, like, very awkward teenager. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, that's Invasion. Um, do we have anything else that we want to say about, like, the plot or can we move on to like our, our last little segment which is basically like a little bit of biography about our intrepid showrunner i mean i think we hit the big beats i mean if yeah. we want to talk about well let's talk about sean cassidy and then we'll kind of wrap up our thoughts let's do it yeah so sean cassidy is our showrunner um he is somebody who ran a couple of other shows that lasted for one season he ran like a little thing called american gothic in the mid 90s uh very quickly canceled seemed to be like a horror mystery show about like a small town of secrets um and he ran a uh show called roar which is like a fantasy action series kind of picking up off of like hercules and xena at the time starring a young heath ledger as the main roar guy which again crazy that he was given this many chances with like really good talent um probably why he got so many chances to make three one-season shows in a row uh, is that he's an epitism baby. His dad was a highly respected character actor um, throughout, like, the 60s, 70s. Um, he was one of, like, the recurring killers on Columbo, uh, including in, like, the first official episode, Murder by the Book, uh, directed by Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, he had those connections, and he just got attempt after attempt to make these shows and all of them fucking flopped. Uh, he was also a former teen idol in the <laughs> 1970s. Uh, he would sing covers of 1950s songs and he had like a couple of really big hits like that. Um, and then Esther, mm-hmm. can you go to his Wikipedia page, please? And yeah, tell I'm... me what is his marital status? Let's take a look. Let's take a look. Um, uh, Ooh, personal oh, life. wow. His personal life. Uh, there's like a non-subsection section here that is just three lines and then marriages and children. Cassidy has been married. three paragraphs. He has been married three times and has eight children. He was married to Playboy Playmate Anne Pennington. They divorced in 1993. Uh, he was married to actress Susan Deal. They were divorced in 2003. And he's married to producer Tracy Lynn Turner. Uh, and they are still together. But I think really... It informs what we know about this, about the show Invasion, that its creator has been divorced and married so many times because they talk about divorce so much. I mean, I know we referenced this before, right? It's basically the main theme of the show. Hannah is like doing home alone face at something right now. Well, it's that I'm looking, this is a big stretch, I know. Okay. But I'm looking at this Wikipedia section about his marriages and children and these sections about his divorces all have citation needed at the end of them. <laughs> and I'm just praying that this is the case. Yeah. That Sean Cassidy himself put this information up on here like he is a soldier who would just be like, no, I got a bronze star. <laughs> Get that fucking right. <laughs> this is really important for people to know about me. Yeah, he, he again, this is a guy who has never stopped thinking about divorce. He is always having it on his mind. 
thinks about it as like a big um, kind of just like badge of honor. And that that's that's the main theme of his life. That and singing songs called like "Da Do Ron Ron." Yeah, for sure. Uh, by the way, uh, he has a show on TV right now. <laughs> it's ran for five seasons. That's he right. tried three times with these like ambitious things where it's like you know uh, uh, a horror show, a fantasy action show, a sci-fi mystery show, and he, eventually he was just like, "Fuck it, I'm just gonna do like a, a medical procedural." Yeah, but the premise of this medical procedural is is really great. The premise of this the show is called New Amsterdam. <laughs> Uh, and the premise the, the second hospital show called New Amsterdam, by the way. Right. They finally got it right. <laughs> um, the premise of this show is, what if a hospital was run by someone who wanted to be nice? <laughs> it's literally like... It's Laws of Humanity from Barry. Yeah, it is. I think the, the parody show on the show Barry, uh, Laws of Humanity, which is about the first law firm that wants to increase niceness. I think it is a direct parody of the show New Amsterdam, which is about the first hospital that wants to increase niceness. And yes, I think I'm seeing what Hannah's seeing right now, which is that one of the main cast members of New Amsterdam is Tyler Labine. No, sorry. I was I was going down into the recurring and guest character. Oh, what did list. you see? I saw Daniel Day Kim is on here <gasps> as another doctor with a fucking amazing name, Dr. Cassian Shin. Cassian Shin. That's really sick. All right. Um, so by the time you are hearing this, probably the Dr. Han meme will have played itself out. Um, just go ahead and look up who Dr. Cassian Shin is. Maybe he has the same juice. Yeah, maybe we should. Maybe you we won't should know until that. you find out. <laughs> good for good for him bringing Tyler Levine along. Along though, I think that's cool. Yeah. Uh, as Dr. Ignatius Iggy from Psychiatrist okay. and head of the psychiatry department. Um. So yeah, that's that's who Sean Cassidy is. Uh, he is somebody who wears his heart on his sleeve for better and for let's be honest, much worse. <laughs> Um, and before we wrap up, I think the last thing that I want to just kind of like mention here is basically, you know, we, something that we're trying to tackle with this show is like, what were these shows trying to do that was unique from Lost? Um, what caused them to fail? I think those are both really obvious at this point. But there's also a question of like, well, what was the appeal supposed to be? And like, if there is somebody who looks at the show fondly and like thinks of it as like, this was canceled too soon, which is a startling amount of people do think that right it ends up on those like listicles there are people who will like bring it up in like twitter threads and are asked like what show do you still remember really fondly even if no one else does and i think basically i have a sense of like what kind of person like looks at this show as like such a treasured memory and it's somebody fundamentally who likes to see dominoes set up and knocked down really easily <laughs> yes because a lot of like what really burned people out on loss is the fact that like it didn't give you easy and quick answers to its mysteries. Like it really committed to having things remain genuinely ambiguous and genuinely mysterious for like seasons at a time. Yeah. Whereas if you're somebody who likes the concept of these mysteries, but like you don't actually want to let that run for too long and you just kind of want to feel smart. You kind of want to feel like you're, you're making this progress and understanding like, aha, he's invasion. Then like, this is the perfect show for that. Right. Yeah. It is, you will never feel like you are in the dark about something. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, you know, that's that's who the Core Invasion fan is. If you are the Core Invasion fan um, and you vehemently disagree with that, then I'm sorry, but you don't exist. Yeah, I mean, I look, I'm sure there will be people watching who are like, oh my gosh, I remember that show. Uh, I remember really liking it. Um, that was almost 20 years ago, yeah, I'm sorry Yeah, you were to say. a child at that point. Well, even if you weren't, like, I'm sorry, 
you do not remember the yeah, show as well as you think you do. if you're one of Esther's 50 year old followers, <laughs> then uh, we will draft you into battle against her Zuber followers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do want to see who wins. Yeah, people who are 30 years old for when Lost premiered versus people who are not born when Lost premiered <laughs> line up on opposite sides and try to dunk each Just other into the water. Run headfirst at each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, but do you yeah. have anything else? No, I mean, I think, you know, I think you succinctly explained, like, mm-hmm. what the appeal of the show is to people, but also what the problem is. The problem with this show is that because it has a concrete sense of what the answers is, and it is so reticent to dole those out, mm-hmm. it, everything just takes too long, and it, everything is too way too obvious to the audience before it's made obvious on the show. Um which again, like you say, there is an appeal to like knowing that the mystery isn't too is doesn't go too deep and that you can easily grasp it and that you will definitely get an answer. Yeah. But like watching this 22 episode season where so little happens for so long and like there's funny, wacky, stupid stuff, but like there's just there there there's no meat on these bones. <laughs> no. Um and it it I think really gives you a big sense of how genuinely hard it is to pull off this lost style of mystery. And I suspect it's something that we're going to see with like other ones of these shows where it's like, they were hoping to have like this five season arc, but it's like, well, the juice is all gone by the middle of season one. Yeah. So, um, the next one of these that we're looking at is I believe going to be surface. Um, it's going to be either surface or threshold. Yeah. It depends on which one's easier to find. I know threshold <laughs> is just all on YouTube. But oh, I th- fuck yeah. <laughs> I think it's like they, they, they pitched the audio up, so that might not be ideal. Um, you know, <laughs> we're going to spend we- that entire episode just being like, and I cannot stress this enough, everybody's voice is too high. <laughs> I can't imagine watching this. I don't know why they made that choice to make everyone talk like helium uh, balloons, but yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I really hope you enjoyed the show. We have been really excited to do this for a really long time. Um, and we're going to continue on. If you want to keep in touch with the show, obviously you can follow us at either Cappy Baroness or Haniolo spelled Y O L E A U. Or you can follow the show at lost broadcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can, uh, email us email us we do have an email it's yeah me- if you have any like burning things you want to say about surface then uh shoot yeah. us an email with those that is the lost broadcasts at gmail.com yeah and yeah we really hope that you get in touch with us and subscribe to whatever you're listening to this on as of recording i don't know exactly what that will be but hopefully it's a lot of things yeah um 100 and yeah we will catch you in one month and remember Divorce makes you strong. If you throw me through the walls, I will come back leading the whole pack. Bye.